This is Discipleship Dissected on Coach and Joe. I'm here with two friends from Great Britain, as always. I have so many British friends now. This is Duncan and Kate Smith from Catch the Fire. Moved from Toronto to Raleigh when? When was that? 13 years ago, 08. Yeah. 13 years ago. Eight years in Toronto, then 13 years yep. here. Did yep. you ever think when the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll start with you, Kate, when the Holy Spirit sent you, you two to Toronto, did you ever think you would end up moving there and no. stewarding that thing? No. <laughs> we thought we were going to be going to Toronto to receive and probably stay there for the rest of our life because we loved it because God was pouring out in revival. But we were growing, we were being stretched. And as always, the Lord always challenges people to go in some way, to leave the comfort of our life and our office and our position. And he just kept tugging. I want you to go to North Carolina, to Raleigh, and plant a church in my presence. Duncan, how long were y'all in uh, Toronto? We were in Toronto for eight years. So right. We served John and Carol in Toronto for eight years. And uh, I was the executive director through that time but we just had this burning desire to plant mm -hmm. a Toronto church somewhere in the world. And I was actually in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2004, so four years in, mm -hmm. and uh, I landed, I was, I was gonna be speaking at a, at a French church. And, um, and as soon as I landed, the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit spoke to me and said, you're gonna plant a church here one day. Yeah. This is where I want you to plant your first church. And I was like, what? There's nothing but trees. There's, yeah. there's just a forest here. <laughs> why, why would you want a church planted here? And then I realized the entire city is inside the forest, you know, and, and, uh, and it's called the there's city all these universities. And, you know, that, that, that was a prophetic journey in itself. So, you know, we, we've honored the voice of God and the, and the yeah. prophetic, but you very often get that sense and knowing in his Noah, as we Brits say, yeah. <laughs> that God was calling us to do something. <laughs> Uh, the Father's showing me something right now that he hadn't shown me since I met you guys. So Michael Thornton wrote a book called Fire in the Carolinas. Yeah. Y'all moved here. You really started something, and it's uh -huh. it's really growing, and mm. that flame is spreading. I want to ask on. you a question, Doctor. I've never <clears throat> asked you this. I'm really curious your answer to this. You could probably say a hundred things. In your eight years in Toronto, Yes. what was your top revelation? Wow. Oneness. Our union with Christ. That revelation that at the cross mm. the son of god became the son of man well in the incarnation leading to the cross the son of god became the son of man so the sons of men could become the sons of god that's just transformed my life mm. well let's be objective here i mean it, when when this is all said and done and he comes back toronto is one of the most significant mm. outpourings of mm. god in the history of humanity yeah, yeah. that sounds like like an extreme statement. Mm. He poured himself out at Nineveh. It's probably the all-time all-timer. Mm. Yeah, Wells, Azusa, right in the same timeline. When the history books are written, what God did in Toronto was mm. very unusual. Yeah, it was. I think the the revelation of the Father's love uh, set us up for understanding yeah. our union with with yeah. Christ, with yeah. Jesus, because we we <clears throat> we'd both been saved baptized into, G into the Lord Jesus. And then we both got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm. 
But when we got to Toronto, we discovered that you can be baptized in the Father. I mean, yeah. we never knew there was a baptism you know, in the Father's it, love. It was about love, actually. Mm. We thought it was about the manifestations, the power of God. Yes, that's what we went for. But we didn't know that God was going to show up in love. Mm. What was your top revelation? That? Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think, you know, just that foundation of love, that culture that John and Carol cultivated with their leadership team, mm -hmm. where really we... The Lord wants your heart more than your gifting. Yes. And are you willing to go on the journey mm -hmm. of transformation of your heart? Because if your heart's free, yeah. if your heart's freed up from all those judgments, the barriers, the identities, all that, you know, subconscious stuff that we deal with most of the time and, and the sin and our re wrong reactions, then you can actually go further in the Holy Spirit and in the kingdom. Yeah. And I think we've realized that the freer you are, mm. the more you have a pure vessel for the Holy Spirit to minister yeah. through you. I love it. I want to jump into a conversation this morning on, uh, I believe that this is geared towards leaders. So yeah. God loves everyone. and But what happens is he will pick certain people to lead in... Uh, movemental ways. Yeah. Right now, he, he's been showing me there's a changing of the guard in his kingdom. There's leaders mm -hmm. that are arising that a lot of people don't know their names. And yeah. I, I believe we're in, we're in the literal beginning stages of reformation in the church. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a book for Destiny right now on what God's showing me about, about this reformation, the fear of the Lord returning mm -hmm. to the church. I, I want to talk about what I believe is the most important thing for a leader to Ooh. get so deep down into him or her that it gets into the subconscious. It there without yeah. this, I just I don't believe God can even use someone to lead in significant ways. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read these passages and then I want us to talk about it. Mm. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Mm. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Mm. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor in life. And this is what jumped out to me this morning in my devotional reading. I've, I've never noticed this. I love the passage where it talks about, I believe, the uh, the seven things that God hates in Proverbs. Yeah. Do you remember the first the first one? Because order is important. Do y'all remember the first one he hates? Hmm. I never realized this. No. Is it a pride? Something to do with pride? Proud look. A proud look. Ooh. That's it. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Mm -hmm. um, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and it, and it goes on to say some other mm. things. So there's another humility. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Mm. He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And I'm, I'm about to make a point out of this. Mm. And you guys have been leading for so long. I'd love for you to really, not just prophetically, but talk from experience mm. why these passages are true. You guys have been leading globally for a long time. Yeah. Humility is very important. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about how you've seen this be true. And here are the last couple of passages. Yeah. Mm. In the same way... You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Mm. And then the Philippians 2 passage about Jesus became nothing. Come on. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. Come on. 
Does God hate pride? Yes, he does. But actually the scriptures point to something else. Not only does he hate it, he opposes it. Mm. Wow. And it seems to me in scripture that the evidence of humility is actually promotion. Mm. The evidence of pride, the fruit of pride, is demotion. In the charismatic stream, we want to talk about the God who promotes all the time. Hey, I love it. I don't hear a lot of sermons on the God who demotes the God who opposes. And Duncan, I'm going to come to you after this. I looked up the Greek word this morning for opposes. It's really uh, long. It's hard to pronounce. Uh, I'll give it a go. Uh, Antatestatai. This is this is what the word means. I never knew this. I never knew this. So he's the Lord of the angel armies, right? Yeah. Yes. All right, hang on. That's also not a good thing for us who are proud because listen to what it means. Mm. He will set an army in array against. So what am I saying? Wow. You can be in Christ going to heaven for an eternity. Yeah. As you begin to step into pride as a leader, you actually can find something. It's not warfare. It's the hand of your loving father who will begin to oppose you. (laughs) Do you believe this? Have you seen it? Has this been an ethos of of you two? Mm. Because to me, when I look at John and Carol, I've never Mm. met them personally. They just exude humility. Absolutely, they do. They do. So what do you think about it? Let's start with you, Duncan. We'll go to Kate. What? How have you seen this reality play out for leadership in your career? Um, I think the what we've noticed is that as people have progressed in their journey in leadership, when their heart is proud and and there's mm-hmm. there's the um, self selfish desires and selfish ambition then they create a swirl of issues and um, fussing and, and uh, yeah. how can I say it, Kate? Well, I kind think of like, you know, they, there's, all, there's just a swirl around They them. create an environment where people are treading on eggshells around right. them. I'm not sure, shall we address this? Shall we correct yes. it? Yes. How, do and, we, how do we say it? Exactly. And, and, it's, and it's actually sent a lot of sentimentality is mm. created. Mm. And there's this desi- people around are all fussing, trying to, you know, cater to that sentimentality. Mm. And what happens is that, you know, instead of them going into where they're longing to go into and setting up all kinds of issues for other people, like Haman did, you know, how Haman was determined to eradicate Mordecai. And I don't think that you could see anywhere in Scripture a better example of a leader I agree. who who mm. just dis- was at the top, mm. had made it to the top, but it mm. wasn't enough for him. And so his pride yeah. spilled over to, I don't like the fact Mordecai won't bow down to me. Mm. But then it, the very pride of his heart became the undoing of his entire life. And the gallows that he set up to hang Mordecai became the very gallows that the king actually ended up hanging him on. And I think that's the point that I want to make. I've noticed that people will create so much fussing, but then the very thing that that they create in order to achieve their, elevate themselves and achieve the ends of their selfish ambition become the very undoing. Mm. And the Lord, you can see the Lord is holding them back, literally. And uh, the whole, very, very sadly, the ministry comes down in, like a, a, a stack of cards and 
<clears throat> you know, there's, the Lord has his ways because mm. very often where there's pride, there's all manner of iniquity. Mm-hmm. And so there's secret sins, sexual sins mm-hmm. or, self-hatred. you know, self-hatred or, you know, greed. Yeah. And so it's the gold, the girls, the glory. See, as Lewis said, it's the, it's the biggest one of them all, pride. Yeah. What I hear you saying is pretty much everything wrong comes from that. It comes from that, yeah. exactly. And then it, yeah. it, it... It's like a nest. But it catches them out. It yeah. catches you out. Yeah. Our pride catches us out, ultimately. Then let me ask you this, Kate. There's no one listening to us that's saying, well, I, you know, I don't want to be humble. Of course we want to be. Yeah. Where does humility come from? Well, I think it's a gift, actually, and I think it's it's um, it's something that we can cultivate in our journey of sonship, because sonship is sometimes your leaders saying no to you, mm. and are you okay with that? Mm. Because that hurts your pride. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to do this. Well, no, I don't think it's best for you at this point. Mm. Are you willing to trust a, a leader in your life that loves you enough to say? I think it would be best just to give it some time. And, you know, I think a test of sonship is if you say no to someone, how do they respond in their heart? Do they go away and sulk or do they go away and think, okay, that's not easy, but I'm willing to receive it from the Lord. Well, the father does this, doesn't he? He does. He tells David way before the kingship manifests in Jerusalem, he's going to be king. He tells Joseph, The coat is, he goes through all kind of hell from the promise to the manifestation Mm -hmm. of it. So if the father does that, the father loves to test. I guarantee you Abraham thought the testing was over when he landed where he landed. And he's got to go kill Isaac. What what I hear you saying is if the father does that to groom humility Mm -hmm. in us, then he will raise fathers and mothers that lead the sons and daughters to do the same. And going back to your reference Mm -hmm. about John and Carol and their humility, Mm -hmm. they modeled a safety, a culture of love and safety where we could be vulnerable and it was two-way. So it wasn't them saying no to us. There were so many yeses. There was so much safety in our interactions and the way they ministered, the way they discipled us, the way they led us, the way they gave us opportunity so that when they said a no, we knew it was a discipline in love. It was a no in love. Yeah. And it kept our heart from ascending to the heights of thinking we were better than we were. You know what I think is a curse for young leaders? Quick success at an early age. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Oprah did a show when she mm-hmm. still was in Chicago on people who had won the lottery. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like 15 families. It ruined all 15 families' lives. Uh, my, my son, yeah. he's 18. He's going to play college golf next year, and he had uh, one of his worst tournaments of the year two weeks ago at the biggest tournament of the year. Mm. And I said, uh, Sam, I see this differently than you do. You need this adversity. Mm -hmm. I said, this is a blessing for you. Of course, you know, I'm almost 50. He's 18. He's like, huh? What do you know about it, Dad, type of thing? I think humility comes from getting the absolute crap kicked out of you. Uh Uh-huh. I was laughing the other day. Yeah. How many times have you guys been to Israel? Only once. I've only been once. But mm-hmm. one of the things that stood out to me, did you guys see Nazareth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's on a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's that obscure passage, I've actually never preached out of it, where the Lord's family drug him to chunk him off the top, the point. Yeah. Everywhere the Lord went, opposition. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere Paul went, opposition. Yeah. The Lord, the, Paul says to the Lord, please 
for the love. And the Lord says, no, I think three times. No, my grace is sufficient. I think uh, persecution, hardship, delayed promises, um, nothing manifest. I think it's a blessing. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, Chad, if I could jump in here, I'd like to say this. Remember when Joseph was 17 years old, he had two dreams in quick succession. Mm -hmm. And he he made the mistake of boasting about those dreams to his brothers and then to his father and his mother. Mm -hmm. And in all of those dreams, his brothers were bowing down to him in the first dream. Mm -hmm. And in the second dream, his brothers and his mom and dad were bowing down to him. What he didn't see in his dreams was that there was someone missing in all of those dreams. Because we know that when he was 37 years old, 20 years later, 21 years later, that dream was fulfilled and his brothers were bowing down to him. And so was his father and his mother bowing down to him in Egypt because he was now in Pharaoh's house. But the dream didn't tell anything about the journey, which of course involved being sold by his brothers, betrayed, it, in, it, it, it involved being in chains going all the way down to Egypt. It involved yes. being years in Potiphar's house, then being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of, of you know, trying to rape her, and then being thrown into prison, then interpreting the dreams correctly, mm. and then being forgotten by the one who you know, was restored, the, the butler. Yeah. And for two years, then he's languishing in the jail. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Duncan, when was... Joseph's moment of greatest confinement. Mm. And I thought about all those times where he was confined. And then the Holy Spirit said, the moment of Joseph's greatest confinement was when he accepted Pharaoh's offer to be his Mm. number two Mm. for the rest of his life. He would never be the number one. And every one of those confining moments was preparation for the greatest promotion of his life. But there was someone missing in the dreams. Pharaoh was not in those dreams. And he thought that he was going to be the number one in the dreams, where in reality, when the dreams did come to pass, he was still the number two. Pharaoh was still the number one. And I was sitting telling my parents about this one day, and and the Holy Spirit spoke to me again, and he said, and when is your moment of greatest confinement, Duncan? And I thought, wow. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, a split second after you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, you will never, ever, ever be the number one for all of eternity. You know, this got the Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Exactly. You you know who doesn't struggle with that? The Lord said, I only do what the Father Father. tells me to do. That's it. He's uh, he's happy to be the number two. And he's God. He's God. I think he's still submitted to him. Yeah, he is. A hundred percent he is. So the king of the universe. I mean, think about it. I mean, the demonic realm. If they hear the J off his name, Jesus, they flee. The king of the... I think Philippians 2 is the most convicting passage in the New Testament. Absolutely. Remember his disciples, we'll close here. His disciples said, uh, you want us to call out fire and strike them? <laughs> Even when he resurrected, his disciples thought he was coming to overthrow Rome. Yeah. yeah. He, he brought a towel. He came to die. And so for leaders, you know, you may never be called to lead a global movement like Duncan and Kate. In the end, Romans 14, 10, we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in the mm-hmm. Bama seat anyway. Yeah. I, wanted, I just want to be there with him and bring Amen. my humility and purity I think the best prayer to pray over your leadership, what God's calling you, is what he prayed in Gethsemane. Nevertheless, yeah. whatever it is. 
I, I bless any leader listening Tell to us that mm. you would draft off the humility we see mm. in the Catch the Fire of the movement. May you just go so low that dirt gets stuff up in your nostrils. Be at peace. God bless. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast. Don't miss the Coach and Joe talk show on YouTube and coachandjoe.com for epic merch, blogs, and ways to help keep us up and running. We'll see you next time on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast.